Good morning, Life Church at Livonia, and welcome. Welcome to the last week of our series, Break Through the Busy. Most of us, for most of us, fall is a time that is super busy. Am I right? There's new classes, new grades, new teachers, new sports, new schedules, new expectations, new stresses. I know it's a very busy season for me. And it's really easy in the midst of all this busyness to be driven in our schedules by the expectations of coaches and teachers and homework and jobs and deadlines instead of being driven by our vision, mission, and values. Here at Life Church Livonia, we believe that the time we have is precious because we only get one life. And once we spend that time, we don't get it back. So rather than being driven by the expectations of others and the demands on our time from outside of us, we want to be centered in Jesus and we want to be driven by our vision, our mission, and our values. So we have been reviewing our vision, mission, values here at Life Church Livonia over the last couple weeks. In week one, we started with our vision, which is real people, real God, real life. And our vision is simply this, that real people would come to know our real God and experience real life and life to the full in Jesus. That's the kind of church that we are trying to make. And then we went to our mission the next week, which is how we're trying to accomplish that. We're trying to accomplish that through no, grow, go. That people would come to know Jesus, grow in maturity, in depth of relationship with both Jesus and with his body, the church. And then go and serve the world as we fulfill the Great Commission. And since then, we've gone through our four core values. Well, we've gone through three of them so far. We're highly relational because the second greatest commandment is to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. We're faithfully biblical because everything we do, we ask the question, where is it written in Scripture? And then number three, we are intentionally missional. We are going on mission on purpose with Jesus to seek and save the lost. And finally today, we're ending with our fourth core value, which is that we are authentically devotional. So today, I want us to ask and answer this question. What does it mean to be authentically devotional? And why does it matter to my life and to yours? Well, I had this running joke uh, for years and years. And um, it started while we were doing set up and tear down with church and, you know, we'd be putting stuff away. And I was the worship leader here for a number of years. And so, you know, someone would coil up a cable and toss it into the road case and just miss, you know, terribly miss. And they say something like, ah, that was so close to helpful. And then somebody or myself would say, that's a great title for your memoir. So close to helpful. And over the years, good titles kind of piled up. And I wanted to share some of them with you today. Some of them are from those jokes and some of the years. Some of them are actually books you can buy. And some of them are just from uh, the gracious minds of the internet. And I wonder, which memoir title do you most relate to? Here we go. The first one, I was almost good at that, a memoir. (laughs) Second, I'm late and I'm sweaty. The story of my life. (laughs) Third, coffee and carbs, my life and food. Fourth, wait, was that it? A memoir. (laughs) Next, I was being sarcastic, a memoir. (laughs) Next is, uh, I'm sorry I'm late, I didn't want to come, a life of social anxiety, a memoir. Next is, she gets a little intense. The story of month-long birthday celebrations. 
Uh, the next one. Do I want bangs or should we just talk about my feelings, my life and haircuts? And that's that one I, I got from the internet. I think that one's real. Next is, um, I really was planning to work out a memoir. <laughs> Some of you are going to love this one, husbands. Honey, we can afford the monthly payments. A marriage memoir. <laughs> Next one. I'm not mad, it's just my face and other things I've said too much. <laughs> and then the last one, hypothetical arguments, I won in the shower, a memoir. If someone were to write a memoir on your life thus far, what would they title it? What would you hope they titled it or didn't title it? I know for me, I would really be bummed if it was I'm late and I'm sweaty. <laughs> Both of those things are low on my list. But if that person, if you had someone writing a memoir and they were to go and do research on your life, they were to talk to your family, talk to your friends, talk to your kids, your teachers, your coaches, talk to your spouse and your parents. If they were to look at your bank statements, if they were to view your internet history, if they were to read your journals, if they were to look at your job history, if they were to really investigate and understand you in order to write your memoir, what would you hope it was called? As you flipped through the pages of that hypothetical book, what would you be proud of in your memoir so far? What would you be ashamed of hoping that they really didn't find? What are things that maybe feel really pressing and important right now that at the end of your life, as you read back through it, you realized really weren't that big a deal? And at the end of your life, if you are reading through your memoir, what things maybe don't feel important right now that in the grand scheme of things are actually really important? When we say that we're authentically devotional, there's two pieces to it, obviously, authentically and devotional. And when we say authentic, what we mean is that we're committed to telling the truth about our lives here and now, not just at the end of it. This is part of what we mean when we say we're real people and real people, real God, real life. We mean that we're not hiding our hurts, we're not hiding our hangups, we're not hiding our problems, we're not hiding our process. We know that all of us are struggling with something or someone, and all of us have been deeply broken by sin in the most profound parts of the human experience, and we need divine intervention to save us. We also mean that all of us are being pursued by the God of the universe who wants to save us from sin and hell and save us for his love and his mission. Scripture says in 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done in the body, whether good or bad. There are many passages in Scripture, Matthew 7, Matthew 25, Revelation 20, where we get this kind of picture. We see this scene at the end of days where there is a white throne and which God sits and where each of us individually will stand before God and we will have to give an account, a public accounting of our lives. And when we stand there, we will stand alone, not with our children, not with our teachers, not with our spouses, but just us and Jesus. 
And in that day, everything that is hidden will come to light. All of our motivations, all of our behaviors, all of the movements of our heart, as well as the truth of our actions. We will review the way that we lived our lives. And in that moment, what our parents did or believed, what our friends did or believed, what our church did or believed, what our family did or believed will not matter. It will be what we did and what we believed, what we devoted our lives to that really counts in that moment. So we may not write a memoir or have one written about us, but there will come a day when each of us will give an account for how we lived on planet Earth. But I've got good news for you. That moment is not this moment. However you have lived up to this point in your life, you can choose a new way starting today. And this begs the question, if God is going to judge our lives at the end of everything, what way does God want us to live? Because surely if he's going to tell us what we should and should not have done, surely he must tell us now what we should and shouldn't do, how we should and shouldn't be, the way we should live our lives. And here's the deal. God has told us he loves us and he does not want us to figure this out on our own. He has explicitly and clearly communicated in his word the way of life he wants us to embody. In fact, Jesus says in the book of John, I am the way. Meaning that when we live in the way of Jesus, we live in the way God designed and intended for us. And there are many different scriptures I could use to talk about this today. But as I was praying, this one really, I just couldn't get away from. And I just believe in this scripture, God has something for you and something for me today that he wants to communicate about his way of life. And it's here in Matthew eleven twenty-eight 28 through 30. It says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart. And you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, at first glance, this may not seem like a passage about memoirs or the end of days or a way of life or how to live well. But this statement of Jesus's is actually deeply profound on multiple levels. And in order to get a deeper understanding of what Jesus is talking about here, I want to look at the three words that repeat themselves in this passage. The word burdened, the word rest, and the word yoke. Now, the word used for burdened here is the Greek word for tizo. And it means exactly what it seems like. It means a heavy weight, a load, a burden to carry. And Jesus associates the weight of life, the weight of this burden, with weariness. And that word he uses for weariness means tired of striving and struggling. Are you tired of striving and struggling today? What do you feel burdened by? Maybe today you feel burdened by work. Deadlines are just overwhelming. It takes all of your hours and energy. You regularly feel like you can't be your best self because of the demands of the job. Maybe you're burdened by your lack of work. You used to have a great job and great community at work, but since you got let go, it's just been downhill from there. Maybe you retired and you missed the structure of work. Maybe you had a forced retirement. Maybe you're struggling because of the strike going on right now and uh, what the unions are fighting for. Maybe that's affecting your work and you're feeling burdened by that. Are you feeling burdened by school? 
the weight of classes, of homework, of time, of balancing all those things with meaningful relationships and other priorities you have in your life. That's difficult in any season. Maybe you're feeling burdened by family today. The people you love are making poor decisions. Maybe they're stuck in life or in their relationship with God. Maybe they're simply aging and your relationship to your family is changing. Maybe you're burdened by heartbreak today, a breakup, a divorce, a relational loss, an estrangement. Maybe you're burdened by friendship, the weight of losing a friendship perhaps, or the weight of a friend who's making poor decisions or you have relational strain with. Maybe right now you're burdened by physical or mental health issues that are rewriting your capacity, your relationships, and your priorities. Maybe this morning, this morning you're burdened by a trauma, a painful experience that still casts its shadow over you all these years later, and you react to it as though it's fresh. Maybe you're burdened by a sin that you've kept hidden or just can't escape. Whatever you are burdened by this morning, Jesus is inviting you to come to him with that burden and with that striving and to replace that burden with his rest. And not just physical rest. That word that Jesus uses for rest there is this Greek word, anapau, which means to give relief, to revive, to remain quiet, or in other words, to give quietness or stillness to a person. But here's what's shocking about this verse and about this invitation Jesus makes. Jesus says the way he will give us this relief from the burdens of life, the way he will create this rest, the way that he will give us this revival and quietness of heart is through a yoke. He says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. This is bizarre. And it's bizarre because a yoke is not an instrument for rest. It's a tool for work. And that's the last thing a tired person needs is more work. You know, it's like seeing someone passed out on the ground for manual labor and you hand them a shovel. It's like, what are you doing, man? Come on. You know, they need a vacation. They need PTO. They need a good night's sleep. They don't need a tool for manual labor. So why would Jesus say that his answer to our burdens is a yoke? Well, first of all, we've got to talk about what is a yoke. Because the way Jesus is using this carries both literal meanings as well as some metaphorical meanings. And for our purposes today, I want to look at three aspects of the yoke. I want to look at the yoke as a tool. The yoke is a weight and the yoke as a partnership. So literally, a yoke is a tool, and it looks like this. I really wanted to get a real yoke here to show you, it'd be really cool, so I put it out on Facebook, and Nick Angler offered to get me a stick and some rope. <laughs> I just you know, didn't feel like it would have like the wow factor, you know? So anyway, a yoke is a tool, and it's a tool with which two ox would be strapped to, in order to use their combined strength to pull a plow through soil, through tough ground, through existing root structures. And a yoke is not a tool that's used to escape life's burdens. It's a tool that's used to bear life's burdens. That's its literal meaning. However, the yoke is more than a literal tool. It has a metaphorical meaning as well. Metaphorically, it's not just a tool, it's a weight. It's important whenever we study scripture 
and there's an analogy or an image used, we want to look at other places in the Bible where that same imagery is used. Maybe, in the, for example, baptism. Where are other places water is used as some kind of passage from one life to the next? Maybe fire, maybe gold, and in this case, the oak. So I did a little search through the Old Testament to see other times that God used the term yoke as an analogy. And here are some of the times. Exodus 6-7, I will take you as my own people and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. Numbers 25-3, so Israel yoked themselves to the Baal of Peor and the Lord's anger burned against them. 1 Kings 12.4, uh, uh, your father, King Solomon, put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Isaiah 9.4, for as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of the oppressor. And finally, Lamentations 1.14, my sins have been bound into a yoke. By his hands they were woven together. They have been hung on my neck, and the Lord has sapped my strength. He has given me into the hands of those I cannot withstand. So where we see these images used in Scripture in other ways, we see that a yoke is metaphorically describing the authority that someone is under, and therefore the way they live their life. This can describe, as we saw, a governmental authority, like in the case of Egypt or King Solomon. It can also describe a religious or existential authority, like in the case of the Baal of Peor. And it can even describe our own sins as an authority that determine how we live our life. In the time of Jesus, the teachings of the Pharisees, meaning the Law of Moses and the rabbinical commentary on that, the Talmud, these were referred to as a yoke. So the term yoke is simply a biblical shorthand to describe the thing that determines the way we live. That's what we mean by yoke, the thing that determines the way we live. With this in mind, Jesus is speaking to people in the first century as he says this, and I'm sure the people who heard this thought about the yokes they were burdened with. Some people probably thought about the teachings of the Pharisees. Some people probably thought about the Roman occupation who had political and military control. Some people may have thought of their own masters or mistresses because they were slaves who were not yet free. Some people may have thought about the Roman pantheon of gods or the Greek philosophies of Plato and Aristotle. Some may have thought about their own financial desperation due to the tax collectors. Some may have just thought about the weight of surviving life itself. And this leads us to yoke as a partnership. Remember, the yoke is not a tool that's meant for one animal to use. It's meant for two animals to use. And there are many ways to train an ox to use a yoke. Ideally, the oxen would begin training as a pair, as a team, from only a few months old. And they would learn how each other moves and acts. And they would learn to work as a team to carry the burden. And metaphorically speaking, this is our hope for our children here at Life Church Livonia, that they would meet Jesus as a young age and they would learn to walk with him as a team throughout life. However, both in history and in reality with people, that doesn't always happen. Throughout history, many farmers were poor and having two oxen was just financially not doable. So they bought one, they began the work, and then they afforded a second as they were able. And in these cases, 
they would train the, uh, the younger ox by yoking it with the older ox. So you have one older, strong, mature ox and one weaker, less mature, smaller ox. And so they were unequally yoked. And the young ox wouldn't know how to work as a team. The young ox didn't know how to bear the burden. The young ox would kick and grunt and at its best was inefficient and at its worst was destructive. But over time, the pace and demeanor and the steadiness of the older mature ox trained the younger one in how to do the work. And the older ox carried the majority of the burden and increasingly let the younger one carry what he was able as he grew. In making this analogy, Jesus is acknowledging the simple fact that life is heavy. And it's a weight, it's a burden to carry. And all of us get tired of bearing that burden. And when that happens, all of us yoke ourselves to something or someone to give us rest and relief and help us carry the load. When we feel worn out, when we need rest, when we feel burdened by life, when we need support, what's the thing that we run to in order to find rest? Is it food? Is it Netflix? Is it numbing our minds with scrolling? Is it porn? Is it shopping? Is it seclusion and isolation? Is it workaholism? Is it video games? Is it alcohol? Is it weed? What is it? Whatever we turn to for rest, whatever we turn to for revitalization, whatever we turn to to quiet our hearts and minds, that is what we are yoked with. And whatever is in that place, Jesus is pointing at that in this analogy and saying, that space is for me. That spot next to you, the thing that you're looking to lighten your burdens and give you rest, the thing that you're looking to make your burdens easy and light, that hole next to you was made to be filled by me. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What Jesus is inviting us into is an entirely new way of life. A way of life in which the work we do, the way we live, and the one who helps us bear up under the burdens of life is determined by Jesus, not by coaches, not by deadlines, not by sports teams, not by homework, not by recreation, not by schedules, not by bosses, not by money, not by comfort, not by anything else. In his commentary on Matthew 11, scholar Frederick Bruner uh, says this. He says, a yoke is a work instrument. Thus, when Jesus offers a yoke, he offers what we might think tired workers need least. They need a mattress or a vacation, not a yoke. But Jesus realizes the most restful thing he can give the tired is a new way to carry life, a fresh way to bear responsibilities. Realism sees that life is a succession of burdens and we cannot get away from them. Thus, instead of offering escape, Jesus offers equipment. Jesus means that obedience to his Sermon on the Mount, his yoke, will develop us in a balance and a way of carrying life that will give more rest than the way we have been living. Friends, life is difficult. When we expect it to be easy, it is very difficult. But when we expect the difficulty and we encounter that difficulty with Jesus, not only is it not so bad, it can actually be a joy. It can be a gift to be alive in this world. 
In John 10.10, Jesus claims that despite the difficulties of life, in him we will find life and life in all of its fullness. But this abundant life is not the same thing as abundant comfort. Because Jesus' vision of life and life to the full includes people with Down syndrome, includes children with chronic diseases, includes any kind of chronic ailment that the human being can experience. That's not easy. That's not an easy life. But that doesn't mean it can't be an abundant life. An easy life is just not an option for most of us. Be that because of work, because of family, because of our own bodies, because of our age, because of whatever. An easy life just isn't an option for most of us, but an easy yoke is. Under Jesus' yoke, the burdens of life can become a rest for our souls. The way of Jesus is not just a way of ideas, what we might call theology. It's not just a list of do's and don'ts, what we might call morality and ethics. It is both those things, and it is a way of living in the world that is based on Jesus' own way of living as a human person in a broken world. The Gospels do not come to us as systematic theology books. They don't come to us as daily devotionals. They don't come to us as easy to remember life lessons and maxims like the book of Proverbs does. But the Gospels come to us as biographies, the stories of a life that knows how to live and how to die in a way that is synonymous with God's design and intention for the human person. That is what Jesus is inviting us into. He's inviting us into a way of life with him that lightens the burden of the yoke of life. So when we say we're authentically devotional here at LCL, what we mean is simply this. All of us must give an account for the way we lived our lives. All of us must give an account for the way in which we lived our lives. All of us are living in some way. Is that a way I'm willing to live for? Is that a way I'm willing to die for? Is the way that I'm living bigger than politics and celebrity? Is it bigger than my own security and capitalism? Is it bigger than my pursuit of pleasure or the desire to numb pain? Is it a way in which I would describe my life as life to the full, or is it a way that simply gets me from paycheck to paycheck and high to high? Or is it the way of Jesus, where there is life and life in all of its fullness? When we stand before God and we give an account for the way in which we lived, what will we have worked for? Will it end up being things that passed away, a house that crumbles, a business that rises and falls, a bank account I don't get to take with me, a comfort that doesn't last? Or will it be the things of substance that last into eternity, caring for the least of these, the poor, the orphan, the widow, the prisoner, leading someone to know Jesus, discipling someone who's younger than me in the faith? We cannot live off of anyone else's relationship with Jesus. When we have that moment and our memoir is open before God, the way in which we live will be clear for everyone to see, and we will have to own our life and our life alone. I won't have to own Kate's life. I won't have to own Marissa's life. I won't have to own Bettina's life. I won't have to own my parents' life. I won't have to own my wife Amber's life. It'll be my life that is open before God as a book. And it will be my life for which I give an account. And it will be then that I will see what was my life invested in? What was it devoted to? 
And was that worth it? And so here at Life Church Livonia, we're committed to telling the truth, being authentic about what's going on here and now, and we're committed to being devoted to the way of Jesus. And however you've lived up to this point, you can start fresh and live differently starting right now today. And so that begs the question, what does it look like to live in this way of Jesus? Well, I have a couple invitations for you, and you may think they're simple, but I think most people take the simple for granted and are looking for something more, and then they never start the simple. The first thing is scripture. God has spoken to us. His way is laid clear in his word. Do you know God's word? Have you read God's word? Maybe you've read a little bit, but do you have a rhythm, a habit of seeing Jesus face to face in his word each and every day? If you don't, I really want to encourage you to check out our Devo card. That's linked in the digital bulletin. It's a simple format to help you spend time with God. Second is prayer. It's the habit of speaking to God as a friend, as a lover, as a Lord. It's the habit of listening to God. Let me, and I just want to ask simply, do you know how to hear God's voice and how to obey in faith? If you don't reach out to us via the connection card, we want to help you discover how to do this essential thing in following Jesus. And lastly, prayer is just being with God. There comes a time in our prayer life where God isn't interested in talking with us about all of our worries, but simply wants to sit with us on the back porch of our own souls and watch the sun set. He just wants to be together because it's this relationship that really matters. Next is worship. Worship is a posture of our lives. It's a posture where God is at the center and where our schedules, our commitments, our yeses and nos, even our fall busyness is determined by his priorities, by his plan, by his way, and by his purposes for our life. You have a purpose, a God-given purpose. And if you don't know what that is, reach out to us. We want to help you discover and discern that. We sing worship songs every single Sunday, not just because it's cool and fun and we like to play music. We do it to create a space, a buffer, a liminal movement that allows us to recenter and focus our hearts and to wash away the things that have happened this week and to turn our attention toward God. As we close in worship today, I just cannot encourage you enough. Do not let these songs pass by. Engage with them as a space where you can calibrate your heart towards God's voice and presence. And finally is disciplines. Spiritual disciplines are simply habits and activities that we do to cultivate our spiritual lives because Jesus did them to cultivate his spiritual life. And our upcoming series that we're starting next week is a series all about this called This Is The Way. And you are right to think we totally copped that from The Mandalorian because we did. And it's awesome. <laughs> I'm going to be dressed up in my costume next week for Trunk or Treat, by the way. Din Djarin, Mandalorian, boom. So good, boom. Awesome guy. Anyway, this whole series is all about the spiritual disciplines, following in the way of Jesus. And so if you liked this, <clears throat> if you feel like, man, this is striking a chord to me, I need more information on how to live in the way of Jesus, 
This whole series is for you. We're hitting on some really important things. The discipline of community, the discipline of solitude, the discipline of hospitality, of fasting, and of gratitude. And we cannot wait to see you there. Please join us for each of these next series. As we close today, I just want to pause for a moment. Because I think there are some of us here, we're following Jesus, we're trying, but man, we would not describe life as easy and light. And we would not describe our experience of following Jesus as burdenless. And to be sure, it is a yoke. There is weight on our shoulders. But there is a different way, my friends. And if that's you, I want to pray for you. I think there's another group here this morning. We've been living life our own way, and we're yoked to things that are leaving us empty over and over and over and over again. And if that's you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When you get overwhelmed and you feel like you just need a break, you run to, and you're even emptier somehow than you were before, and you don't know what's wrong and you don't know what to do. If that's you, what you're looking for is Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He lived a perfect life. He rose from the dead so that he might be able to fill that space and lead you out of darkness and into light, lead you out of the land of the shadow of death and into a fullness of life that you were created for. And the Bible says when we believe that Jesus took our sins upon him, the sins of worshiping other gods, you may think, well, I'm not very religious. Listen, whatever your life is centered around, that's what you worship. God wants your life to be centered around him. You were made for a relationship with him. And when we worship things that are not God, when something else is at the center, it cuts our relationship with God off. Whatever our sins may be, defining our own morality, living in our own way, violating God's design, Jesus died on the cross so that those sins might no longer separate us from God. And he wants you to come to him. And I want to invite you to do that as we pray. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, Lord, I would not describe my burdens as easy, and I would not describe this yoke as light. And so, Lord, I just come before you and I ask you to teach me. Teach me not just to believe right things about you. Teach me not just to live in good ways, Lord, but teach me, Father, to pattern my life after yours as I walk in step with the maker of my soul in this yoke of life. Show me what to do. And Lord, for those of us who are far from you, right now we just come before you and we say, Lord, I am sorry. I have chosen empty idols that have left me empty. I have tasted that they do not satisfy. And no matter how hard I look for this life, I know must exist can't find it. And so, Lord, here I am and I turn to you. I ask that you would forgive me for my sins. And I ask that you would give me this life and life to the full that you promise. Show me what to do next. In the name of Jesus. Amen. If you just prayed with us, please reach out to us via our digital connection card. We want to walk alongside you as you learn how to live in the way of Jesus.